Welcome to About the Winelands. In this show, we will be chatting to leaders, influencers, wine producers, restaurants, and other role players. Tune in every week for our latest episode. You will find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram TV, Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Google Podcast. Good day, everyone, and welcome back to About the Winelands. Today, I'm talking to, to Erica Taylor. Erica is the founder of Uncorkified. Um, welcome to About the Winelands, Erica. Thank you so much for having me. It's our pleasure. Thank you for, I mean, uh, you have a busy day and the bus everyone's busy. So um, I think our listeners will appreciate that you took the time, but they're also going to really like to hear more about you and what you're doing because it's quite interesting. So can you kick off by telling us a little bit about yourself and um, how you became involved with um, the wine industry? Sure. So um, obviously you can tell by my accent that I am not South African. I grew up in America and um, lived kind of all over the place. Uh, always was interested in wine, um, um, except for that brief period in college when I drank apple martinis, but we won't talk about that. Um, and I uh, lived in New York City, started a PR company. Um, and ultimately in 2011, I took a trip to India uh, for about a month and ended up falling in love with it and moved there two months later. Um, while I was there, um, wine is definitely not uh, their, their greatest um, accomplishment. Um, a lot of whiskey was consumed, but as I kept drinking uh, wine there, I actually, it was interesting. I was like, you know, how is wine so different from so many different places? I had no idea. And so I was talking to my mom one day and she told me that, I, I don't know why she was hiding this information from me for the previous 30 years, but um, she told me that I could actually make a living doing wine. Um, so I started doing some research and looked into WSET, uh, took that course there, um, and then uh, got offered a job at a vineyard in India, uh, which most people don't know that India actually does have about 40 wine farms. Wow. Um, and uh, worked there, decided to come to South Africa for my birthday in uh, I think it was April 2017, and absolutely fell in love with it. Moved here two months later, so clearly that is a um, is a trend of mine. If I go on holiday, I move there two months later. But I think I'm I think I'm settled in South Africa. <laughs> and yeah, so that's how I that's how I came here, and I came here specifically for wine. Erica, I want to ask you a little bit about India and the wine industry. I mean, you say foot. I mean, I've never interviewed anybody that's been in the um, Indian wine industry, and frankly, I know nothing about it. So can you tell us a, a few interesting things about it? Um, um, I think everybody would love to hear that. Yeah, so there actually is um, a fairly big book that actually um, is called The Wines of India that actually uh, talks about every single vineyard that's there. Uh, Nasik, which is about three and a half hours uh, northeast of Mumbai, is kind of considered the quote unquote Napa of India. Um, it's home to the uh, most popular farm. If you talk about wine in India, everyone talks about Sula. Uh, Sula wine actually has, I think about 70% of the market share 
uh, with regards to Indian wine. So they have a huge range. Um, they do a huge festival every year. And the farm that I worked at was uh, just behind them. Uh, it's called Soma. And the winemaker there, uh, he had actually worked at Sula for 13 years before buying his own plot of land at the back of the farm and starting to produce wine there. So at the time that I was there, we were doing about 100,000 liters a year. Um, and what's interesting about India is they actually have two harvests a year. So the harvest in um, August, September just is fruit that's just thrown away. And then the fruit that's used for the wine uh, actually comes from the uh, February, March harvest, depending on oh. the weather. Um, and very, very interestingly, so it gets up to, gosh, it gets up to 45, maybe 50 degrees there sometimes. Mm -hmm. And they are actually producing Pinot Noir. Wow, that's amazing. So, and it's and it's actually it's actually pretty good. <laughs> oh, that's so interesting. So tell me, um, um, what about the uh, where do where do they sell these wines? Is there because um, I mean, I've I've been around Delhi and those places, and like you say, people drink whiskey. There's not really a wine culture. They drink the local beers, the wheat beers. But um, I, I mean, is there a consumer market in India, or are these wines exported? What do they do? They're, they're mostly for uh, domestic consumption. I mean, you have to realize there's 1.3 billion people in the country. So um, just, producing an, just producing enough wines for themselves is, uh, is still a massive market. But actually, wine consumption in India is completely on the rise. And 20, I think 2017, India got their first master of wine. Uh, so Nal Holland, um, she is um, a total champion of uh, wines in India. I worked with her. Um, on several things. And there's also a growing sommelier market. Actually, the person that got, the first person that took me uh, to a wine farm in India, her name is Gargi Kotari, and she is a sommelier in India. And um, it's probably because of her that I actually really um, fully got my start. But um, the culture is definitely rising. Uh, so Nal Holland actually released a report as part of her uh, Master of Wine um, certification on kind of the state of wine in India and her study actually showed that even people that had never drank wine before for religious or cultural reasons had started to drink wine because it was um, aspirational it it uh, made you look classy even people that mm. don't drink would give wine as a gift because that was a sophisticated thing to do um, working in the tasting room, we had people that had never drank before come in and uh, start tasting wines because, of course, doing a wine tasting is very classy. But when you do it at your house with six wines, people think you have a problem. So <laughs> that's interesting. So, I mean, that aspirational um, um, market or culture is really true. And I think that's why whiskey is popular because, you know, it, it, it's like people feel when they can serve a, a, a expensive whiskey that they've arrived and then seems to be knowledge totally. about the whiskey prices and stuff like that so it's very the in thing to, to have the the latest and greatest whiskey around so that so exactly. it's interesting that the wine market is growing do you think there's an opportunity for south african producers to actually sell to india so that's actually the first place that i got uh to taste uh south african wines uh was oh. in some of the finer was in some of the finer restaurants there which mm -hmm. is actually ended up how i came here um, the Indian market is really difficult for imports because uh, domestic alcohol itself is so expensive. A bottle of 
Yes. Um, not the greatest wine that's even that's a local wine is still going to run you um, over maybe 1000, sorry, over 150 um, rand. Um, so then when you talk about the import costs, it's, it's just astronomical and it's totally unaffordable um, unless you're extremely wealthy. But if you are in South Africa, there is one place that I have seen um, Indian wines on the list and it is in Franschhoek. And oh. I'm getting the name of the restaurant, but uh, I know the bottle of wine very well. I made, I looked at it, but they're charging, I think it was 2,500 Rand. Um, so if you really want to try Indian wine, you probably should just go to India. It'll be much cheaper. <laughs> well, what you could do is uh, one, one evening have a curry and wine tasting and we'll, uh, a pairing and we'll definitely have an Indian wine with that. Um, I'm, I'm comparing that with South African wines. I think that would be quite cool. fun. I actually did, um, I work with the South African Sommeliers Association and I actually did an Indian wine tasting at the end of last year from my private mm -hmm. collection. Um, and sadly, I was supposed to, I was meant to be in India the whole month of June this year, but obviously that was canceled and I was meant to bring back um, enough wines for another tasting. So as soon as I'm able to head back to India, I promise I will bring back loads of wines for another tasting. Okay, well, anyway, enough about India. We've gone completely off topic here, but it was so interesting. <laughs> um, Uncorkified, what is um, the history? How did you start it and um, what do you do? Yeah, so it's basically just something that is um, as morphed as I've gotten further into the wine industry. Um, it started with just me studying and then it started uh, with me writing about wine and ultimately having more clients in wine for marketing purposes. So I couldn't think of a good, um, you know, all the, I felt like all the, you know, Instagram names and websites and, you know, uncorked and, um, and wine and all these other things. I couldn't quite think of, of the right words that I wanted to use. So I just invented uncorkified and it seemed to kind of um, fit. And so now it's kind of the hub of um, my wine life and my clients that I do marketing for in the wine industry. Excellent. So uh, when did you start this, Erica? Uh, well, I'm, it, the name didn't come about until uh, maybe, I don't know, the end of 2019. But um, I think it probably really started in my brain as soon as I started studying for WSET back in India. Okay. So what services are you providing to the wine industry and um, who is your target audience? So I work with any uh, wine farms, any wine products. Um, I work with clients in the U.S. and the U.K. as well. Uh, so I have some clients in the U.S. One is a blind wine tasting board game um, that just raised $20,000 U.S. dollars for their um, kickoff. And um, they're also going to make a virtual version. I also work with um, wine design companies. Um, locally, like I said, I work with the South African Sommeliers Association, and currently um, I'm actually just offering my services for um, some wine producers just to kind of um, give them some tips that they can use to uh, up their own marketing without having to pay somebody because they're, you know, struggling to survive at this point. Would I typically engage you um, as a consultant or um, how would you do that? So usually I work um, on, they kind of hand over all their, hand over all their passwords and uh, I manage their Facebook, <laughs> Twitter. <laughs> they, I'm very trustworthy. Um, so I handle Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, Pinterest, 
um, all of those things uh, for the client so that they don't have to worry about it. So to increase followers, to field questions, to run campaigns, um, basically anything that happens digitally, mm. I take care of for people in the wine industry. So you, you work like what they call in the US a digital marketing agency um, um, service type of thing. Correct, that is, that is all encompassing. Okay, and they would pay you, they would engage you on a monthly or a quarterly basis and then pay you a fee, right? You don't, you don't take a commission or anything, you, you're purely fee-based. Yeah, I work on a retainer that is okay. um, due at the beginning of the term. And I am very happy to say that I've been in business for myself for over 10 years and I have never had a client not pay me. Well, that's awesome. I think, um, I also think that it depends, you know, the, the type of clients you're getting in the wine industry are people that are in the business long term. So I don't think unless their business really, you know, goes belly up, they're not going to pay you. So I think that that is, you're quite safe in that way. Just um, from a from a PR perspective, I mean, I know a lot of wine firms used to employ PR people and you know, um, get themselves in there. Do you, do you add that? Is that an add on to your, to your social media management service? Do you do the PR as well? So I do PR uh, for my US and UK clients. I don't do PR in South Africa um, because it's quite different uh, than it is abroad. Um, in the US and the UK, you pitch different stories, um, different ideas that would fit for their audience. And then they take that and they write it, they run with it. Whereas mm -hmm. in South Africa, it seems to be that the PR person writes the article and then sends it to the outlet and then they publish that directly. So, um, yes, it is. A, I um, was not trained that way. So it is a too much of a new model for me to get used to it at 37 years of age. <laughs> okay, well, that's that's interesting. So, and, and but I, th I think also we're in a new world, right? I mean, with social media, um, I mean, you and I had a short discussion about this the other day. Is really um, the new PR, right? Because every single person out there, the attention are on their phones. And I know that, you know, print media and stuff like that still get readers, but, you know, there's a, a, the attention of people are really on social media. Um, how important do you think is this now for, for our local wine industry, social media? Um, I think it's massively important, but I also think that um, because when it started, it was just, hey, this is a free marketing tool um, that people maybe didn't fully uh, learn how to completely utilize it. Um, and there's so and it changes every day. I mean, the algorithms change, the um, best practices change. Um, so you really have to stay on top of what that is. And additionally, there was a study that was done that um, people, uh, I think I'm actually considered a zennial. I'm like in, in between millennials and Gen Z. And uh, we apparently have the attention span that uh, takes eight seconds, whereas the younger generation, it t you, have to get, you have to get their attention within three seconds. Um, so I don't know how it can get any faster than that, but people have to learn how to adapt um, in order to continue to market to a changing uh, demographic. Well, I, I mean, isn't the magic word of this whole thing engagement? Yes, that is the that is the magical mythical unicorn that everybody seeks out. <laughs> yes, and, but ultimately, it's like talking to people, and I think, I think you know, um, uh, sometimes people um, underestimate the the 
the actual ease of communication that that social media gives us you can direct message or um uh, almost anybody in the world as long as you actually have a conversation and not seeing them you know it's like talking to somebody um it's like talking to a girl in the bar you you talk about her not about yourself right that's that's the whole yeah. point and i think this is where most <laughs> marketers make the mistake they talk about their products instead of actually engaging with the person 1000% um i see so many instagram accounts that are just buy our wine shop at our store do this do mm. that and um people don't people don't want that they want to know what you're what's going on they want to see you being real they want to know about um the ups just as much as the you know trials and tribulations and um especially right now with everybody you know struggling it's a great time to show um what wine farms are are doing to counteract those things how they're trying to make a plan um people are looking for the kind of realness and ju not just the um the cleaned up beautified version that people want to put want to put out there how receptive are your um wine um community for um the services of somebody like yourself because you know um, um sometimes i think a lot of people have this perception of of social media that they can just find their 18 year old niece and let them post on <laughs> TikTok and Instagram and they're going to get people buying their, their product. Um, yeah, that is, that is 1000% um, a thing. And usually when I start um, showing people all the different kinds of ins and outs, they realize, okay, wow, that is really a job in and of itself. Um, I think I see a lot of people that just cross post where you just, you know, post it in one place and it goes to Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, um, you know, but consumers see that as being lazy. Um, it's very easy to have programs where you can cross post, but it's also just as easy to just post correct in the correct format on each outlet. And just because a person's young doesn't mean that they fully understand how to market someone, maybe besides themselves and their selfies. Um, it's a very different thing. And having been in PR and then ultimately, when I started in PR, uh, social media didn't exist. So um, I've had to learn and grow with it every single day that it's been in existence. And that is something that a person born in 1990 wouldn't necessarily be able to do. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I think that's, that's quite an important thing that you've been saying is like, you know, this cross posting to different platforms by buying cheap software and then, then doing that because it, it loses the, the contextual framework of that specific um, uh, medium. So, so right. for instance, the, the person that's on LinkedIn is there for a different reason than the person that's on there for, um, it's on Facebook or on Instagram. So Correct. I think, how do you, um, do you get your, your, do your clients see that when you show it to them? Do they actually understand the, the whole concept of context and how they need to frame the story to actually get um, the, the, the ultimate listener to, to listen to it? Yes, 100%. I mean, this, I use, I happen to use um, Sprout Social for my postings. So mm -hmm. I have tons of, because I've been using it for so long, I have tons of you know, hard numbers and facts and reports that show, you know, here's what happened when you had me and here's what happened when you didn't have me. And there is a very clear, um, clear change in, in what's happening with regards to sales, with regards to um, exposure, to signups, whatever it happens to be. So I have uh, 
concrete evidence that that my services are quite helpful and like i said i've never had a client not pay me and so far i have never actually been fired so um i'm gonna assume that that is just a, a good thing in my services work <laughs> that's awesome so if i if i'm sitting there i've i say I'm, i've got quite a fair fair business i've got a i've got a wine i've got a winery i have a restaurant i have a a, a um uh, uh, accommodation. I've got a few guest houses. I've got, you know, seven or eight guest cottages on my farm, and um, I've got a, a family member running a spa. And um, I come to you and I say, Erica, can you help me? So, so how would you typically start? Would you do like an audit? What to add? What is the process? Yeah. So usually we start with an audit and by monitoring um, competitors in the area. So again, I use uh, Sprout Social which is very good for, uh, for tracking competitors. So seeing who's doing things that are successful, what kind of posts are working for them. Um, it's also about getting a clear mission and a clear um, drive for campaigns, not just randomly posting, but what are we working towards? Are we, are we now, like, so we're in you know, August, are we, are we building for the summer? Are we working on, are you doing a specific um promotions to get people out to the farm during these during the pandemic like what what's what's their goal and then let's work backwards from there um something that you said made me think of this but a lot of farms um separate their so like the guest house is one um is one instagram the uh winery is one instagram the spa is one instagram and um i normally disagree with that uh, approach um, because you want to have the largest audience possible and you can't expect mm. your um, potential customer to follow each individual thing. They want to know holistically when they come to the farm or to the restaurant um, what, what other um, value you offer to them and why they're going to make a trip out of their home to come all the way down and see you. Interesting. So what would your best marketing advice be um, for wine producers? Um, where's the low hanging fruit? Um, I think taking proper photos is, <laughs> I would have yeah. to say, the number one um, thing that I need to tell uh, wine farms. Um, don't take, you know, nothing that's low res, clean off your, clean off your lens, even if it's just on your phone. Um, don't have things be shaky. I mean, even if you take a screenshot of something, um, there's a website called Let's Enhance and it actually makes it high res for you. So even if that's like the only thing you have to go on, there are ways to, to make it better. Um, and using the proper sh uh, size of images, depending on the outlet. So Facebook and Instagram are the same. Twitter's completely different. LinkedIn's completely different. Um, it's so easy just to pop your image into Canva mm. and just make it the correct size. Just look like you put a little bit of effort into it. Um, and that really goes a long way. <laughs> oh, my, oh, I are an expert, a youngster like yourself. <laughs> Hardly young, but yes, hire me and then, <laughs> and then I'll make sure all those things are done. <laughs> All right, so that's 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 quite quite an interesting one, um, Erica. On that point, I mean, um, uh, you are going to do um, while we're talking about this a actual workshop, a free workshop for um, wine producers um, next week, right? I am indeed. You want to tell us a bit about that? 
Yeah, so I, um, I noticed that in uh, some of the wine groups that people were kind of, uh, uh, you know, judging some of the wine farms for not, you know, responding to them or doing this and that. And, you know, I, I really feel for them. It's not the time to call people out. People are really struggling. And I just was thinking, you know, what could I do to help people that, mm -hmm. you know, are trying to pay their bills and, you know, marketing is my background. And so um, I want to do i'm going to do this with you um next week so that i can just give some free and easy things that you can do in just five minutes a day while you're having your coffee um that can help and things that you know you don't need to hire somebody to do you just need the information and without you having to search through okay does this program work does that program work it's just things that are tried and true and free and um Anybody can do them and just to try and, you know, help people get as much exposure as humanly possible while we're, um, you know, struggling, of course, domestically to um, have wine, wine producers survive. Well, I can't wait to, to, to do that because I think I'm going to learn a lot from you. And I think anybody in the wine industry, not just producers, if you're out there and you've got a restaurant, you've got, even if you have a coffee shop in, in the winelands or anywhere else, come listen to it because it's going to help in, in any business, right? Or even if you're just a person looking for a job, you know, that you can find a job through social media. And Erica is going to give such great advice that I'm going to sit there with notes and listen to you. I'm getting all the free stuff I can. So I hope everybody, you know, uses that opportunity. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I've done, I've done a few of them uh, yeah. with one-on-one -on -one, one -on -one with people and um, I've had amazing reviews. So I'm super excited to get kind of everybody in one space and um, release, the, release the knowledge to help them help themselves. <laughs> I also think if there's anybody listening to this and they have questions um, um, uh, before, before the, the, um, the actual workshop, they can, um, we'll leave a link in the description, just look for the workshop link and there'll be a place to actually post a question. So we, we can maybe um, get you to answer some of those questions in the workshop. So that will be Yeah, that'd awesome. be great. So you're a member of the Women in Wine Expo board member. So what, what, what is this? And um, are you involved in any other women initiatives in the wine industry? Yeah, so um, actually, thank you to social media is how I got in contact, is how I started working with the Women in Wine Expo. Um, it must have been at the end of 20, yes, it was at the end of 2019. I can't, all the days run together, so it's hard to remember, but um, she reached out, to, the woman who started it reached out to me on Instagram, and we had a chat, and uh, she asked me to be on the board of directors, and it's an international conference that takes place in different places each year. Uh, this year we were supposed to have it in May in Georgia, the country, not the state, mm -hmm. and uh, which is the birthplace of wine. Um, yes, of course, that that's was... quite interesting. I did something on the history of wine not long ago and yeah, it goes back thousands of years. Yes, and a lot of it comes from Georgia. So we were that's where mm -hmm. we were going to host it. Karen McNeil, the um, author of the Wine Bible was our keynote speaker. We had, we were sold out, we were all ready to go. And then of course the pandemic hit and we we're lucky enough that um, Karen and uh, the venue and everything were able to just push um, until the next year. So we uh, have a, what we'll be doing in Georgia is we'll have a um, two day of conference um, talking about different and just different uh, aspects of the wine industry and internationally um, some of the issues that people are facing. Although I have a feeling that by next year, our uh, discussion 
topics will, will be very different than they were going to be this year. For sure. um, and then on the final day, we are doing um, a Georgian wine masterclass. And we also have international press coming from all over the world. And there'll be the opportunity for our people to um, join in on a week long uh, press trip um, that's being um, provided to us by the Georgian Tourism Board. Um, so there's usually, there's two wine conference, wine festivals that take place around the same time. There's a natural wine one and um, a, just a general Georgian wine conference. So, yeah. So, so here's my question. How can you not love this business? <laughs> I do, I love every aspect of it. I, <laughs> I seek out more projects all the time. <laughs> You know, it's, there's just no other business where you can do something like this, work for two days, and, and they take you on a on on a working wine. Um, exactly, festival. and it's, it's and it's totally, wonderful. it's totally respectable to have a have a glass of wine at nine o'clock in the morning. What other job can you say that? <laughs> That's true. So, um, any other women's initiatives that you are um, um planning or busy with? Yes. Yeah, so I actually am busy working on um. Uh, kind of launching a Women in Wine South Africa initiative. Um, after, mm -hmm. after Women's Day, I realized that there's not really one cohesive um, group. There's, there's many small groups, um, but we're in the process of, um, oh, so many things. I have, a, I have a four hour call after this actually to finalize everything. So, um, so that we're gonna have um, students involved and people in all different aspects, not just winemakers. We're gonna have winemakers, sommeliers, tasting room staff, um, wine students, um, any woman in any capacity in the wine industry um, will be represented so that we can all help each other and even people that want to um, enter the wine industry. I think a lot of people think, oh, I have to be a sommelier or I have to be a winemaker. Um, but there's so many different jobs uh, in the wine industry. And um, we want people to know all of their options so that they can um, make the best decision that makes them happy and uh, keeps food in their bellies. <laughs> oh, that sounds fantastic. So talking about that, you're also the Cape Town coordinator of the South African Sommelier Organization. Um, can you I tell am. us a bit more about that? Yeah, um, actually it was uh, right as soon as I moved here, I was looking for just how to, I didn't know how to get into wine. It's hard to meet new people, especially when you work from home. And so I saw online that there was a Nebbiolo tasting, actually, I remember it was at the end of 2017. And I went and I was, it was my first um, professional tasting and I had no idea what to expect and I was completely overwhelmed and knew I was completely out of my league with these kinds of people that we were um, tasting with but it also was um, like a like a, a bug and you just had to you, had, you wanted to learn more and know more so I started going to more tastings and um, started working um, actually doing some marketing for some of the sommeliers um, and their businesses and just over the course of time we became good friends and now um, uh, one of those people is now the chairman of the South African Sommeliers Association Barry Schofield um, and the rest of the board, I work with them um, during non-pandemic times, uh, planning tastings and helping keep organized. I also run their social media um, and 
Yeah, it's a lot of work, but it's a lot of fun. Um, actually, uh, this year alone, uh, SASA has certified 98 new junior sommeliers uh, in, all over South Africa, um, which is a huge feat, especially during a pandemic. Um, wow. So they're doing a lot of good for raising the level of, of hospitality in South Africa to keep it as a, a top destination for tourists, for restaurants, and for wine farms and hotels and everything else. So it's um, a great organization, and we do uh, we're doing a actually on Monday we're doing a, a roundtable discussion of light styled reds in South Africa, um, oh. and that will be virtual. We'll have. Um, so we've got wine, we've got a winemaker, we have a, two sommeliers and a wine cellar that I think are on the panel. So, um, should be quite interesting. That sounds very interesting. I'm, I'm very, um, um, I have something else that I want to ask you is when you, when you moved from India and you came to South Africa and, and you know, you're explaining the story of how you got involved, were you surprised by, by anything in the industry? Maybe, um, you know, what, how did you find the level of, of, um, uh, uh professionalism in the industry and was it surprising to you or not? Well, I think coming from India, I didn't really know what to expect. I mean, wine in India has really only gotten kind of a foothold in the last 20 years. So it's a very young wine industry. Um, and everyone's just kind of trying to, you know, figure it out as they go along. When I came to South Africa, it was much more um, it was much more organized and um, having, you know, proper organizations for different things. Um, I did find that it was a fantastic way to um, meet new people when you move to a new country because wine is, um, a, it's, a, it's a bonding thing. And when you can, you know, tell silly, you know, nerdy wine jokes and, um, and you find your people that, you know, you just want to uh, nerd out with and watch. I have one of my best friends, we sit and watch pruning and soil videos every time she comes over. So um, when you find somebody else that's just as interested in um, rewatching the same pruning video for the 15th time, um, that is a definite bonding experience. So I felt, I feel like in South Africa, I found my people. Um, but yeah, I had nothing to compare it to. So I don't think I was surprised or not surprised that I didn't know what to expect. Well, now that you tell me this, um, I have a feeling, are you, are you a closet winemaker? Um, I am not, <coughs> but um, I did with uh, Barry Schofield, the chairman of SASA and uh, three of the other Psalms, uh, Kimmy uh, Blackadder and uh, Esme and Isabella. We did, uh, we made a wine in 2018 and then in 2019, that was for a wedding. And then last year we made a wine and hilariously, the wine is called Where Redheads Go to Die because I wow. have red hair and um, I wanted to punch everyone in the face that day. It was 40 degrees outside in um, Botrefier, uh, oh, yeah. not a cloud in the sky and during load shedding. So there was no air conditioning, no reprieve from the heat. And um, I cried, I, I tried to sit in the shade, I did everything I could. So um, sadly, the wine has my name this year, but um, it was not my winemaking choices. Maybe one day, but um, for now, I'll just be a, a harvester. <laughs> well, that's what they say, welcome to Africa. <laughs> <laughs> so. That was probably my worst. <laughs>
Um, the coronavirus, I mean, this has been the, the whole thing this year, and it's forced all of us to rethink our business models. Do you have any changes um, or new ideas in mind? Um, I think that's a hard question for me because I've worked for myself mm -hmm. for 10 years. Um, so coronavirus didn't really change anything about my business. Um, still work from home, still um, doing wine things. Um, I think that, I think that for businesses, I think being, um, being real with people about what's happening and not just everything's all fine and dandy, but just people are more engaged with people that are being real with them. And I, it's, it's taken a turn for, um, what used to be these, you know, nice, just manicured, um, you know, Instagram feeds and this and that. And, um, it's kind of going away from that. I mean, it just, again, you still have to take a nice picture. Um, but you know, the story needs to be more real. There's, there's more about content creation, not just, um, you know, hashtag wines, wine Wednesday with a selfie of you drinking wine. Um, nobody cares. Um, mm -hmm. They want to know, you know, give them some value into it. What, what, what are the tasting notes? How was this wine produced? Um, tell me something interesting about the picture that I'm looking at. Um, and I think that before all of this, it had kind of gotten a little too um, fluffy and now it's returning to be a little bit more real. And I hope that um, the wine farms will adapt and and um, keep that trend up. Do you though think though that you um, would be more conservative in your business approach? I'm talking about your own business because of the fact you know if if you think about it, you you really have almost like a like this nomad lifestyle. We can pick up your laptop mm. and and move all over the world and live anywhere. But one of the things that has changed for all of us, I've always said that you know doesn't matter where you are, far from family or whatever, uh, or you, from a client. You just an overnight flight away, but unfortunately, yeah. we've we've realized with a with a with a big shock that that overnight flight might be months away. That is definitely true, and I am so happy that my mom moved here with me as well, and um, okay. we live together, and she's my best friend. So um, she also works from home, so we sometimes have competing Zoom calls going on. But um, yeah, this is the first. I was actually in the states in. Um, March and I actually only made it back to South Africa a week before lockdown um, but that was the last time that I saw my family and like I said I was supposed to be in India this year and Georgia this year and then we're going to go back to India for holidays so this is the first time that I this is the longest time in my entire life that I haven't been on an international flight and mm -hmm. I know that that's kind of first world problems but um, you know you just get into the the new normal and you know looking forward to what's um, you know, it's gonna, it's not going to be forever and uh, planning trips for, you know, the first celebration of when that, um, when that is. But I think the first part of lockdown was super difficult trying to adjust, but now it's just kind of, okay, this is just how it is. And you just wear a mask and wash your hands and sanitize stuff and go about your business. <laughs> it's unbelievable how, adapted we are, how adaptable we are. Mm. So your wine journey has been quite interesting. I mean, taken you all over the world so what is the mm. most important thing that you've learned from your wine journey oh that you're never going to know everything and there's always something new um i've completed my wset level three i'm um hoping to start diploma i was hoping to start this year in september but um, i believe it's been pushed back to june uh due to coronavirus um, i'm also currently working on 
um, the Certified um, Specialist of Wine, which is a program uh, internationally recognized, but based out of the US. Um, and I just, you can never, <laughs> even I think Jancis Robinson doesn't know everything. Um, mm. It's constantly changing every single day and it's growing. And um, yeah, the more I learn, the more I realize that I know nothing. <laughs> yeah, that's, this is true. So I ask everyone, I interview the same thing and it's to give your favorite wine quote or your very own wine quote. Um, so it's def I wish I could take credit for it, but it is, um, it's not for me. It's from the movie Sideways. Um, and no, it's not, I'm not drinking any Merlot. It's um, actually Virginia Madsen's uh, quote about, um, um, about wine. And she just, um, with such joy, she's just like, it's growing, it's changing. A, a bottle of wine that you open today is going to taste different than if you opened it tomorrow or the next day. And every single bottle tells us, tells a story. And I certainly find that in my own personal life. Um, you know, I, I have friends that are biodynamic fine, uh, winemakers. And so we always have to check, is it a root day? Is it a fruit day? Is it a leaf day? Um, <laughs> whatever it happens to be. And there is an app called uh, Win Wine that tells you if it's a root day or a leaf day or a fruit day. Oh, so if your word. wine should taste, should taste better or worse, but it's so true. I have you know, I buy cases of the wines that I love and there are days that it is, reminds me of the first time that I tried it. And there are days that it's a little bit more meh. It also depends on who are you opening it with? What's the story? What's, is it a celebration wine or is it a, I'm sad, I need to drink wine? <laughs> so what you're telling me is not, it's actually not you tasting the wine, it's the wine tasting you. That's, that's a good, yes, that is very true. Yeah, that's, I've never thought about it that way. That's quite interesting. Yeah. Erica, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Uh, I mean, we've almost uh, spoken for an hour, so that's, that's quite nice. Um, <laughs> and um, uh, how do, if, if people are sitting out there and they want to, you know, they want to engage you to, to, do, to come and do, I mean, if I was a wine producer listening to this, I would be looking for your number immediately and trying to get all of you to come do this. So, because, I mean, if I look at just most people, the social media is horrendous. They need you. So how did they get hold of you? Um, you can always find me on my favorite Instagram at just uncorkified or um, on my website, which is uncorkified.com. So fairly, fairly easy to find me. Okay. Thank you um, very much for your time and looking forward to actually hear you um, educate us all on um, Wednesday. Um, that is Wednesday the 19th, right? Yes. Um, yes. And, 10 a.m. Um, 10 a.m. 10 a.m. on Wednesday the 19th, the, the the um, links will be in the description. Erica Taylor will be there um, giving us all the best information for free. So if you're not on there, it's pretty stupid not being there. I'm going to be there with the, <laughs> listening to you. So thank you very much and um, have a great day. Thanks. Thank you for supporting our show. If you would like to get more exposure for your business, please have a look at our sponsorship options. Thanks again for supporting About the Winelands. Please follow us on YouTube and on our social media channels. All details and links are in the description.